Welcome to Great Points, financial insights for improving your relationship with money. I'm Matt Schroeder, Certified Financial Planner and Director of Financial Planning at Great Point Wealth Advisors, a fee-only registered investment advisory firm with offices in Boston and Danvers, Massachusetts. Welcome to another edition of Three Questions with Matt. Uh, My guest today is Katie Boucher. Uh, Katie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Um, I, I know we've been trying to get some different perspectives. I thought it would be great to have you on and hear some of the questions that you uh, may have at the top of, you know, top of your mind when it comes to personal finance. So if you want to take a second to introduce yourself, and then we can jump right into it. Sure. I'm Katie Boucher, and I live in New Hampshire right now, um, but work in Massachusetts. Um, my husband and I just had a four month old, we just had a son, he's four months old now. And so, um, you know, we're really thinking about our future more than we probably ever have. And so I was really excited when you said, um, you could answer some of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. And I'm yeah. guessing the questions that you have, there's probably others that have them as well. So why don't we jump right into it? I'll uh, put you on the hot seat and you can uh, ask your first question. Sure. I might need to run out of the room for one second in a minute. Um, my son may have just woken up from a nap, so you might be able to meet him. But um, since we're on that topic, my first question is, what's the best way to save for his college education? And being that he's only four months, I think that we have a few options right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's always a, uh, a good question. You know, It's always you know, with a four-month-old, you're never sure um, you know, where they're going to go to college. Uh, so trying to guess how much you need to save and, and what are the best options are always tricky, but um, it kind of comes down to cash flow. So if you're trying to save $50 a month or save, you know, $3,000 a month might change the vehicles you use. Um, but, you know, they can, the first thing you kind of look at, uh, or a lot of the kind of the media would tell you to do is look at 529 plans. Um, personally, I'm not a, a huge fan as that being the first spot. Um, because, you know, people will try to put $50, $100 a month into a 529 plan, but that's really not going to add up to a lot of money when it's all said and done. So, um, and, you know, 529s are, they've improved in how they are, you know, execute from an investment standpoint and, uh, you know, giving a little bit more flexibility, but they're still a little bit uh, more restrictive than just a traditional investment account or, uh, you know, other, other accounts that you can have. So, um, you know, I think from a standpoint for people that are just starting to save, um, the key is to have flexibility or control. So if you have, let's say $200 a month, you want to save, you basically could open up a 529 plan, which is kind of like college only, um, or you could add $200 a month to a Roth IRA, knowing that you could always access a portion of those funds for college. Um, or you may decide to pay $200 extra a month on your mortgage if your plan is to use the equity in your home to, to pay for college. Um, and then the, the final option is basically just a, an investment account, you either in your name or you're in your husband's name, where you're going to build liquid investments. And, you know, with 18 years, you can kind of take more risk than somebody who might have a 17 or 18 year old heading to college. Um, but that account is kind of earmarked for college, but it's not in your son's name. It's, it's your money. Um, and you might decide to use it for college, if cash flow is, if you need it at that point, or, you know, if, if work's going well and you might be able to kind of pay for college out of pocket, you might decide to use that money for, for other things, either short-term or long-term goals. Okay. 
So, so what I'm hearing is we kind of have three options. There's the 529, which doesn't give us a lot of flexibility. And maybe in the end, it doesn't really um, give us that big Yeah. Up. So imagine, you know, let's say you, you get aggressive and you start putting a bunch of money into a 529 plan. And then something changes and all of a sudden there's an unexpected bill. And you might have, you know, let's say you have ten dollars or $15,000 saved up in that 529 plan, but you don't have enough to cover that bill. Now, all of a sudden you're forced to you know, use a credit card or take maybe a loan at the wrong time. Um, so you have this 529 plan, but then all of a sudden now you have some debt that's you're paying a higher interest rate on. Right. You're kind of working against each other. So if you start building flexibility first, so maybe building up an investment account until you get to a certain threshold, um, and then maybe thinking about the 529s. Um, what I really like 529s, if you have any family that's like, hey, we want to help gift some money to the kids, you know, $100 at a birthday or, you know, $1,000 at Christmas, whatever it may be, that might be a good time to set up a 529 just to kind of funnel those types of gifts into it. But you well, know, we could also do that with a Roth IRA too, correct? You could. So the only difference about doing it with a Roth IRA is if, you know, grandma and grandpa give money to their grandchild, they don't want it to go into your Roth IRA. (laughs) Even though it's kind of, it's, it's all the same cause. They might be like, Hey, why didn't, why did my gift end up in your retirement account and not their college fund? So that's the only time where it makes sense. You kind of have the different buckets for, you know, if, if you want to help, if people want to see where their gift went, you can kind of point them to that. Um, the other thing is with a 529, if let's say your 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 their grandparents were wanted to make small gifts, they could send the money directly to the 529 plan. They don't have to send it to you to then deposit. So it, kind of, it can make it a little bit more logistically easier. Um, but uh, like I said, if if the family all agrees that you know we understand whatever you choose to do with the money is the best, then you know you might decide to take it and put it in your Roth IRA versus the 529 because that's the best for you and your family. Okay, we could also do a hybrid model, right? So maybe we have the 529 for family gifts, and then we've got another um, another option that we think is going to give us more flexibility for more of the funds coming in. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I think, um, you know, some people put money in a 529, and especially starting this long, they think, well, if I can just do it it'll probably help cover the cost of college, but you know, colleges are just ridiculously expensive. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people underestimate that, you know, if you go out 18 years from now, uh, assuming you kind of stay on a similar career trajectory, you're probably going to be making more money than you are today. Um, so you kind of are hitting your peak earning years as they're getting into college. So the ability to pay for some of college out of cash flow is, is usually somewhat manageable. So you don't necessarily have to save every dollar in an account for the future college expenses. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Um, We've got kind of three options here. So I'm going to leave my husband's question until the end because it's, it's very intricate. Um, (laughs) All right. So mine would be my next question. And this is more of like um, more central on real estate. So would real estate be a smart investment in this type of market? Like assuming we plan to live in the home that we're planning to purchase for 20 plus years, and we already have equity, a a decent amount of equity in the home we own now. 
And then if we move, I mean, are we, should we be considering new construction or renovating an existing home? And we are looking at sort of upscale high-end neighborhoods in New Hampshire, closer to the Massachusetts border. So when you say investing in real estate, are you talking about, uh, you know, rental real estate or increasing, just basically moving to selling your current house and moving to a slightly bigger home? Yeah, selling our current house, moving to pretty much a home double the size and in a much nicer neighborhood where they're like the best schools in the state and New England and maybe even a country. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, best public schools. And then does like your investment in real estate, does it the neighborhood you're buying in and then this market where everything just seems so inflated for home prices? Like, is it even worth it to move if we don't necessarily have to? Um, so if you don't have to, that's always the, you know, the makes it a, almost a tougher decision because, um, so you're moving to a nicer house, which is going to have more space. And, you know, if you're expecting, uh, maybe to have more children, you might you say, well, it might be more house than we need right now, but if we have more children, we'll have more space for them. So we won't have to move later. Um, yeah. you know, so, which is, is good. And, you know, the, mar- the housing market, is, is kind of, some people say it's overpriced or it's hot right now, but what happens with real estate values is they tend to over time grow by three to 5%. So if you buy the big house now, um, three years from now, it might be worth slightly less if there's a, is a little bit of a pullback in the real estate market, but 10 or 15 years from now, it's probably going to be worth more at a rate, at a rate of about three to 5% growth. So to put that in perspective, if you were to buy a half million dollar house today, 15 years from now, that house will probably sell for somewhere between seven to $800,000. Um, that's roughly a 3% growth rate. Um, so it's not a, the, the most uh, fancy investment strategy, but um, if you know you're eventually going to need the bigger house, um, it'll probably, it's hard, it's hard to say, well, if we wait a couple of years, maybe things will come back because they could keep going up steadily at a three to 5% rate. Um, plus right now the mortgage rates are so low. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can afford the bigger house and you know, it's the house you're going to be in for 20 some odd years, um, usually sooner is better than later. Like I said, if you can afford it, um, yeah. you have to always think about, um, the bigger house has slightly higher real estate taxes. It might have, you know, need more furnishings, um, all that type of thing. So, you know, you have to weigh in, you know, if we do go to the bigger house and, you know, according to our finances, we can afford it. But if God forbid, there's a change in job status or a bonus that you're expecting doesn't come in, is that going to put anxiety and pressure on having that big house or do you still have enough of a buffer? So, Right. Uh, but the idea of new construction versus, uh, you know, a fixer upper, um, that's always the toughest one, but, you know, I think with a, a, a new baby and two, two jobs, um, fixer uppers are tough having to live through construction and having to, you know, you might earn a little bit of equity, but for the stress and anxiety, <laughs> it might create, yeah. um, it may not be worth the overall financial gain. So, um, I think, you know, new construction tends to hold its value also a little bit better uh, when you think okay. about the resale 20, 15, 20 years from now, um, you know, things, you know, the, 
the heater won't be need to be replaced for 10 years. The roof should last for 20 or 30. So mm -hmm. um, it is nice if you can, you know, assuming you're not having to pay a 50% premium for new construction, um, there are some financial you know, benefits to that, to, to maybe spending a little bit more to know that the next 10 or 15 years, you'll have lower upkeep, lower maintenance, you know, fewer issues. I am of the same um, view as that last <laughs> opinion you had there. Okay. There is a good episode from season one about, you know, when's the right time to kind of upgrade the house and kind of answer some of those questions about budget and, uh, you know, kind of hidden costs of moving. But, um, you know, because then you also mentioned school districts. So if you know, you, you know, you want to, you're going to use public schools versus private schools, then, you know, paying a little bit more to get into the right school district is worth it. Um, right. You know, if you're planning to use private schools, then, well, you're going to pay to get into a better school district, but then not use them. That that right. may not be the best. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to go the public school route if we're if we get into the neighborhood that we uh, yeah. that we're after, which yeah. we probably will. We're actually meeting with a um, a builder today at two. So we're um, we've got plenty of questions for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, probably more than he's used to considering my. Uh, uh, background in my career. All right. My next question. Now this is more for my husband. So I, I actually might even have questions about his question. Um, so we're in our mid thirties, what percentage of our net worth, like not including home equity or 401ks, should we keep in a savings account in the event of a market crash? Um, so he said, we currently have 35% of our liquid cash in a savings account and the remaining 65% invested in various growth stocks and ETF funds. Do we need to modify? Are we good? Yeah. So that's a, obviously a very specific question. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, without getting into specific numbers. Uh, so basically, when you're thinking about an investment strategy, you, you more or less have three asset classes. And there's a lot more than that. But you have cash. You have bonds and you have stocks, um, and cash on, in a long-term strategy really doesn't have much of a position because cash uh, doesn't really generate much growth um, and usually does not keep pace with inflation. So, um, so for if you're thinking about long-term, you know if you have 35% of your cash for the long-term, that's probably too much. Um, but from an, an emergency or reserve situation. Um, that's not so much a percentage, but as, as a fixed dollar. So okay. um, if you say, well, you know what, our one month's worth of bills is about $5,000 or $10,000. Um, so, you know, if paychecks got screwed up or what have you, maybe having, you know, $10,000 to $20,000 in your checking and savings usually makes people feel better because, you know, a little bump in the road, they can weather it. Or you decide to change jobs, and there's a month where the paycheck doesn't come in. You can you can weather it. Um, you know the the other thing you have to think about is access to money. So if you have a, um, a an investment account, which is not a 401k, it's not the equity in the home, it's just liquid investments, and you have that in in the stock in stock funds or stock ETFs, if you needed that money, you can get it. So the risk is if there's going to be a, a market pullback or a market crash. So you know that if you've got, say, $50,000 in that account and the markets were down 40% in a, in, a, in a period of time, that 50000 is now worth 30000 And if you needed that money, you could take it out and you might have to take the loss. So, um, But usually, 
big expenses like that, you have time to plan for, or you kind of know they're coming. Um, so, you know, if that's, you know, um, so, you know, I, I think knowing that money's in the stock market isn't always the, isn't always a, a, that risky if you're kind of thinking, well, you know what, if it, if it does come out, we know we can grab it. Um, so, you know, 30, keeping 35%, like I said, it depends on the, the 35% of what, um, but I would kind of say, you know, we should keep a, a, a target number in, I, I would say stocks and or, I mean, in cash or conservative bonds that we could get at if need be. And for some people, that number is 50,000. Some people it's 20,000, some it's 150,000. So once you fill up that, that safety number, everything else is kind of long-term and really should be stock market, you know, stock oriented or growth oriented. So um, if you're 35% is already above the state number you feel safety in, um, then, you know, I would start to shift more towards stocks or equities. Um, another, another target when clients feel really, really comfortable financially is when they have one year's worth of lifestyle in liquid investments and doesn't have to be cash or bonds. It could be cash bonds and stocks, but accounts that are not the equity in the home and not in your retirement plan. If you have a full year's worth of your lifestyle in that account, you know, you can weather a job change an unexpected expense. Mm -hmm. uh, you might, you know, take a risk on something cause you know, you've got some backup there. So, um, you know, I think the, that's probably a, a few good ballpark numbers to go off of. Okay. So you're saying one year's worth of lifestyle. So that would be like our bills, you know, what we do for fun, our mortgages and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and basically then, then that should be like liquid cash available to us. Like I would say liquid, liquid investment. So it could be in the in stock funds um, and it could be some cash and could be some bonds. Um but that, that's a, a number once people, because a lot of people will try to put all their savings in their 401k or try to pay down their mortgage aggressively, but then they don't have any liquid money. Yeah. Um, and it creates stress in case something happens. So you have your 401k, that's great. You have some equity in the home, that's great. But for people that really start to feel financially comfortable, they have that liquid bucket with about one year's or more of, of, of living expenses. Um, and even if, even if some of it's in a stock fund, that's okay. Cause they just know that, you know what stocks go up, stocks go down. I probably, it probably won't be the worst market situation if I need, when I need that money. Um, but I would, so I would say a liquid investment pot of about of one year's worth of expenses is a great target. Um, cash is more your comfort zone. So 20 grand, 10 grand, 30 grand, you know, you don't you don't really want to keep too much in cash as a, as an investment strategy because it's really gonna kind of lose against inflation. Right. Okay. Um, All of that totally makes sense. And where we're in the middle of considering new construction home, buying an existing home, I think that's why we have just so much cash in the bank, and we're kind of like, do we yeah. put it somewhere? Do we hold it back? until we know what we're doing with the house situation. So that's, I think, where my real estate question and his investment question comes in because I'm like, wait, don't put it somewhere if we need it and can't get to it. And like, <laughs> but I don't exactly know what we're doing with it yet on the other hand. So 
that's why we're kind tricky of tricky like, too because oh. you don't know you know if you have to buy the, the lot for new construction before you right. sell your house and the timing of things are not always going to be perfect so it it does add a level of complexity and in those situations usually you err more on the side of caution keeping more cash keeping more liquid funds um you know but you know when you look at the the overall stock market there's always going to be bumps in the road but you know while interest rates tend to stay relatively low um you know, there's always markets have been trading down and then there's a little bit of they hit a floor and then they start to buy back. You know, there's there's always a little bit of built in safety. So um, I, I wouldn't be too doom and gloom that, you know, the markets are going to fall apart tomorrow. And um, so cautious. It, I would spend all of our money if it were. <laughs> don't spend it. <laughs> You're like, what? We have money here. <laughs> no. I joke. Yeah. I'm more responsible than that. Um, OK, well, then. We can stay optimistic. So it sounds, so when, when would we ever put anything in bonds that I don't know? So bonds are that, you know, uh, so if your bonds are for a long-term investment strategy that you want to have a little bit of safety built into it. So mm-hmm. it, let's say you were, um, you know, aggressive for the future, you'd probably be 80% stock, 20% bonds. In, there wouldn't be any cash in that model because that's your long-term investment pot. So cash is really just what you need for emergencies. It really doesn't fit into your investment model. The bond portion is your, your um, kind of downside protection in the market. So if, the, if, you're, if you're 100% stocks and the markets fall 20%, you have no uh, liquid, you, you have no safe money to buy the, kind of buy at the low. Versus if you have 15 or 20% in bonds and markets fall back, you can take some of those bonds and buy stocks cheap. So that's kind of why you want to own a little bit of bonds. Um, and as you get older or the goal um, you know, gets closer, so once you're five or 10 years from college, you're going to have more bonds in your college account. Um, but you know, if you still have 20, 30 years till retirement and some of the bigger, bigger goals, you're going to stay more, more stock oriented. So, okay. So I, I have my questions. Any last little things you want to add? I, I think I got some really good information today. That's, um, that's great. No, that's like I said, the, the, the point of these, these, uh, sessions was kind of get different perspectives. So young families have different questions than people that close to retirement have, or, uh, so it's, uh, I appreciate you sharing your insights and questions with me and, this was, uh, it was great to catch up. So any other last questions or comments on your end? No, it was really good to talk with you. Thank you for all of your expertise. And um, one more question. Sure. Does it make sense for us to work with a financial advisor at this point in our life, like to hire someone and have them put together a plan for us for our future? And, or is it just too premature? Um, it depends on, you know, how uh, confident you are in your own decision-making power. So, you know, it never hurts to get a second opinion, but, you know, to, to have an advisor, um, you know, tell you, you need to pay down your credit card debt. You don't need that. Um, you know, as, as life gets busier and you realize that you're waiting three and five years before ever doing any checkpoints, that's when you might say, hey, you know what, we're ignoring this. And if we had someone looking at it at least just once a year, we'd probably be a lot better off. But if, the, if you know, if a couple is sitting down once or twice a year and, you know, looking at everything and 
trying to think strategically and, you know, can talk through it. Uh-huh. It, you know, an advisor may not add that much value at this standpoint, because, you know, things are kind of just going to momentum is going to be the, the main driver. But for couples that both don't want to look at it and or don't agree on anything. Um, <laughs> that's when an advisor can can help uh, at least keep you motivated. Make sure you're not ignoring things for too long. So, okay, yeah, I think we're we're on top of it. I mean, honestly, with everything that went on with like maternity leave and it's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, for people that are willing to do the work. There's plenty of tools out there. Um, and then, you know, maybe every once in a while you might check in with an advisor and kind of get a second opinion plan. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it, like I said, it's more for, uh, for people that really don't want to address the issues. That's when an advisor can be a good, a good partner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this is great. Great catching up and uh, enjoy the rest of the year and have a happy holidays. Thank you. You too. It was good to see you. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, I hope you can apply some of what you heard today to improve your relationship with money. And thanks again for listening. Until next time, on Great Points with Matt Schroeder. Great Points is hosted by Matt Schroeder. Great Point Wealth Advisors is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Great Point Wealth Advisors does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through Great Points. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.